Good morning. Tucker, we threw several curveballs at you this morning, and you handled that so well. And that last song, especially, uh, the gospel is so strong in those lyrics, and I hope you uh, enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, I I do want to call your attention to the front page of the bulletin. Uh, We've got a wonderful opportunity for uh, everyone to be a part of. We call it Holiday Hope. For years, we called it Winter Harvest, and Holiday Hope is probably a better name for it. Uh, And this is a a wonderful opportunity to bless children who otherwise would not have much of a Christmas. Uh, Really what's happened through the years with our working with Cox Middle School, uh, the, the staff there, they know. The, the children who really need help. And so the names that we have, uh, and they're listed in our family center, be during our coffee time, you can pick one up. Uh, these are the children who really need um, some help and an opportunity for us as God's people to step in and do that. It's all anonymous, and it's a, a wonderful blessing, and uh, you'll want to be a part of that. Uh, and we're doing it kind of early. Um, some of that was because of the school schedule, trying to get that to the parents and, and all in a timely way. Uh, after Thanksgiving, kind of looking ahead, uh, we'll be talking about our homeless outreach, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and then the day after. And again, that's also a wonderful opportunity. We always see folks who are asking for help, people on the side of the road. We wonder, is that a, a good way to, to give money and help? Uh, we know this uh, event is a, a great way. Um, we're going to have more details. We'll share that again after Thanksgiving. But, but keep both of those uh, in your hearts, in your prayers, and we want you to be involved in that. Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 6. We're going to continue our study in the book of Joshua. I, I need to say a word of thanks. Your words of encouragement and your emails, your comments, um, thank you so much for that. That, um, that means a lot. I love this church and your love for the Word. And, and, and hopefully as we are walking through this uh, wonderful book, we are learning much. I put on the outline the following statement to begin um, to consider. Spiritual transformation involves learning to break through the barriers the enemy puts in the way to keep you from living the abundant life in Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 10.10, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. But the first part of that statement, that verse, makes that statement even more significant because just before that, he said the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. What a contrast. So in our study, we've come to a moment, Joshua chapter 6, is what our children remember well, adults do also, but what I want us to see this morning is this is a moment of breakthrough faith. Look at the text with you, it's on the uh, the screen, or you may read it from your own Bible, Joshua chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 8, and notice the details as we walk through these verses. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. 
Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And then to verse 20, So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as all the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with great shout, And the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. The story of Jericho is about God's people finding themselves before an unscalable wall. They are taking the land God promised them, but step one, and it's a big one, is to take the city of Jericho, and it involves this huge wall. Now, the reality is that we all have walls of resistance working against us today. We shared this as we started our study in Joshua. I want to remind you of Ephesians 6, verse 12. Look how Paul describes our situation. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. These spiritual forces of evil are doing all they can to prevent you from enjoying the abundant life. The enemy would love to keep his people, even today, in the wilderness. He may not be able to steal your salvation against your will, but he's going to do all that he can to make your life miserable. He wants you to remain in a less than experience. So the question from these verses is this. How do we have breakthrough faith? That's what we're talking about here. Because Jericho is not a story of just marching around the city. Jericho is a story of breakthrough faith. Look at how the writer of Hebrews describes this. Hebrews 11 verse 30. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith the walls fell down. That's how they fell. Not necessarily just by following directions, not because of some magical march. It was done by faith. Faith has everything to do with breaking through these walls. Now, I don't want to over-spiritualize this event. And it's easy to do that and take an Old Testament story and try to extrapolate something out. But I want to talk about this. What does it look like for us to have breakthrough faith? Because there are some lessons in this story that we truly need to know. And just notice right out of the story, here's the first one. Breakthrough faith fights from victory, not for victory. Breakthrough faith fights from victory, not for victory. Look again at verses 1 and 2. Of Joshua chapter 6. We read this last week. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. 
So God says, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. Some translations read that, read, I have delivered. The New American Standard says, I have handed Jericho over to you. But now the reality is in Joshua chapter 6, verse 1, the people of God are outside and Jericho is inside and the walls are still up. But he says, I have given Jericho over to you. I am not proficient in the Hebrew language, but scholars explain the wording here and the tense that is um, peculiar to the Hebrew language. We don't have an equivalent in our English language. It's called the prophetic perfect tense. And one author explained it like this. It's an interesting play on words because whenever God prophesies, it's perfect. And that's what he's saying here. It speaks of a future action as though it's already accomplished. So when God says, I have delivered Jericho over to you, he's speaking as though it's done, as if it is accomplished. Because in God's perspective, it is done. That's the bottom line. So I was thinking about this, and I wondered, did Joshua get that? When God said this to him, did Joshua understand and say, great, let's go? Well, the text doesn't really tell us. What it does tell us is that Joshua obeyed the orders. What we do know is that they are staring at a huge fortified city. We talked about this last week. Walls at least 30 feet tall, 6 feet thick. They have none of the essentials for taking a walled city. No catapult, no ram, no battering ram, no catapult, no ladders, no ramps, nothing. No history, no success in taking a fortified city, but none of that is needed. God says, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. He was calling them to take the one weapon they needed, and that was eyes of faith. To see it as done. Reminds me of a story that comes from the Korean War. There's a group of soldiers, part of the Baker Company, and their circumstances were dire. You may have heard of them before. They were in a situation where they were running out of ammunition. They were running out of supplies. Their contact with headquarters was more out than in, and they were surrounded by the enemy. Finally, a faint signal was received, and through the static, they heard this. Baker Company, do you read me? Baker Company, what is your situation? So they radioed back. This is Baker Company. The enemy is to the east of us, the enemy is to the west of us, the enemy is to the south of us, and the enemy is to the north of us. And then after a pause, they said this, and we're not going to let them escape now. That's not unlike what Joshua and the people of God are facing. This fortified city was before them, and behind them was the Jericho, I mean, the Jordan. There, there was no going back. They could only march forward. And God says, perfect. Now march. Would you have believed if you had been in that audience, in that group, hearing those words? Because faith fights from victory, not for victory. Faith is seeing things from God's perspective. And folks, that's hard. It is not automatic. It is something I think we have to strive for. Now, God has them march around the city for seven days before the walls fall. But again, there is more to this story than just marching orders. I want to make sure that we get this. Did you notice 
the order that the armed guards are in the front. Then the seven priests blowing the trumpets follow them. Then the Ark of the Covenant. Now more armed guards follow them. And then everyone else is falling behind that entourage. What's the significance of the Ark and why is it in the front? We studied that before, Joshua chapter 3. The Ark represented the very presence of God. On the top of the Ark was the mercy seat of God. So he was leading this whole march. He was the one out front. And we know, we know that if God is in the front, if he is leading, he will be victorious. So they're declaring ownership before the city is even overthrown. Something else to notice in here. Did anyone hear the number seven? As you read through this story, I think I counted 16 times, seven priests, seven trumpets, seven days, seven times around the seventh day. What's the significance of the number seven in Hebrew numerology? Have you studied that before? Do you remember? That means divinity. It means completion. God is telling them when I'm leading, when I'm in front, when you're following me, the victory is sure. It is complete. It is guaranteed. Can we have that kind of faith today? Is this just one of those stories that we read about in the Old Testament and think, well, that was neat for them then, but I don't know that we're supposed to have that now. I would say that not only can we have that now, I would say we must have that kind of breakthrough faith even now. Faith is when you begin to speak and act as though what you see by faith is true. It's a given. Picture this. I wonder if those marching around the city looked silly to the people inside. You wonder about, I wonder if they felt silly. As they're marching around following the entourage at the beginning, they're making their way around just going, just, did, we don't know. The text doesn't say us that. I can't help but think it looked pretty silly to the inhabitants of Jericho watching this thing. What are they doing? What are they doing? Just march around once and they go back home? And they come back the next day and they go back home? And the third day and the fourth day and the fifth day? It had to look city. But then, we're not to be looking at this story from Jericho's perspective. We are to look at this story from God's perspective. And there's so many applications here. See, that's why your standard of right and wrong comes from God. And it's crystal clear. Even though the world keeps changing the lines of what's right and wrong and what's acceptable. That's why your understanding of money and material things is different. Because you see it with eyes of faith. It's all God's anyway. The world doesn't see it that way. That's why you don't speak truth because you've got somebody witnessing and watching you or because you've sworn an oath to tell the truth. You tell the truth because Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's why you don't deal with conflict the way the rest of the world does. Being quick to judge, quick to take to court, quick to get even. They deserve it. They might deserve it. But you remember Jesus said, think differently. Act differently. Respond differently. He says, go the second mile. Turn the other cheek. Give them even more than they're demanding. 
Jesus said, forgive. Truthfully, from the world's perspective, every single one of those looks silly. I would even say absurd. Why would you respond that way? But from God's perspective, you're right on target. This march around the city was really more of a victory parade. It was more of a confession of faith. And that brings us to the second insight I want us to see. Breakthrough faith sees obedience as a victory parade more than a funeral procession. Let me explain what I mean by this. This idea of marching around the city as a victory parade puts a whole new spin on obedience. It's not just God says so, so I must do it. It's understanding by eyes of faith. And so your perspective and why you obey and how you obey, it brings joy into your obedience. Stay with me. Let me explain. What if the obedience that God asks of you and me today is really the, the same? A victory parade. In other words, when I follow God's instructions about what to do and how to live and how to respond, the choices I make, no matter how strange it may seem to others, I am saying I believe God's instructions for me are true and right. And I'm going to claim victory. That's why I'm following them. And get this, this victory parade, this is not just some over-spiritualization of of the story of Jericho. This is not just an Old Testament concept. This also is in the New Testament. Look on the screen, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, a victory parade. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Do you, do you see the parallel here? God was leading them. The ark went first. And you and I, Jesus is leading us. He goes first. We put him first. Think about it. When I see my obeying the Lord as a victory parade, then that changes my whole perspective in, in following his instructions. No longer am I approaching obedience with drudgery. No longer do I just obey out of habit or just mindless routine. No longer am I just following Jesus because I have to. And for sure, I don't look like I'm in a funeral procession. I heard someone talk about that song, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And said, someone said, well, take a little bit of that and smear it on your face. And we've got to be careful about this. If we're God's people and we're obeying the Lord, but we look miserable like we're out in the wilderness, why would anybody want to follow us? Why would anybody want to hear the gospel? Why is that good news? But when I understand God's way is not trying to make me weird or peculiar, it's the best way. Now, it may be weird. It may be peculiar. It may look silly. It may look absurd to others. But when I believe it in faith, it becomes my victory parade. Life in Jesus brings hope and joy and peace and all that is good. That's what he's promised us. Now, to be clear, there is death involved. So we talk about a funeral procession, there is death. There's dying to self. There's dying to your own will. But this breakthrough faith allows me to acknowledge his way is best. 
That's why I obey him. My obedience is putting him at the front of the line. My obedience is submitting to his lordship. I want him as my savior. I need him as my Lord. I need him to tell me the way. Tell me how to march. And I'm going to march in a victory parade. When I come to see obedience as a victory parade, especially more than a funeral procession, I see everything in a whole new way. Let me give you a couple of examples. Sacrificial giving is no longer a burden. It's no longer rote. It's no longer just necessary. It becomes a joy. Instead of moral purity being a drudgery or losing out or feeling like you're being punished, it becomes a victory parade. Instead of loving my enemies as a burden, it becomes my victory parade. In the most dire circumstances, I can have joy knowing I'm obeying the Lord. Now, from the world's perspective, so many of our choices, our thinking, our actions, no doubt, look silly. They look absurd. They look strange. But can we admit that everything about this march looks strange? Can we just say that? I know it's in Scripture, but just reading through this, why, think about it, why is this gold box leading the way? Why are the religious priests up at the front blowing trumpets? What good does that do? And what about this marching in consecutive days and then seven times on the seventh day? Where's the logic in that? Where's the brilliance and warfare in that? It's not there. But this world doesn't get anything about following Jesus. This world doesn't understand who He is, why He came, and the life He calls us to. And why should it? If they don't get it, they don't understand. The world doesn't blame you for getting revenge because everybody else is getting revenge. That's what's normal. That's logical. But Jesus says, you forgive. You think the world cares if you cut corners like everybody else? Doubt it. They probably expect that from you. But if you look around and in an instant, you look around the world and you see it's in a mess. Their lack of standards, their ever-changing standards, it is a mess. But you say, no thanks. I see my obedience to God's marching orders. That is my victory parade. We're just following the instructions to claim the abundant life Jesus has given us. And again, this is not just Old Testament thinking. Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And keep reading the next part. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. As long as God is leading you, you're going to be in this triumphal procession. People cannot help but take note. How can you do these things with a smile on your face? With a spring in your step? It's so, it's so counterintuitive. But breakthrough faith sees obedience more as a victory parade than a funeral procession. And that brings me to the last one. Breakthrough faith allows us to get value out of God's Word. We don't think of that phrase often. In fact, that may sound like an uh, inappropriate way to even describe what's going on here. But breakthrough faith allows us to get value out of God's Word. What does it mean to value? 
means to appreciate. It means to, to understand the significance. And when you value something, you know it's expensive, or you know it's rare, or you know it's precious to somebody. You get value out of something. There's another passage in Hebrews where the writer there is commenting on the generation of God's people that did not get to go over the Jordan. Those who perished in the wilderness. And he talks about why, what's going on there. Look at Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2. For we've also had the gospel preached to us just as they did, those who died in the wilderness. But the message they heard, get this, was of no value to them. Because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. I want to make sure we're we're getting this. They could have been the ones to enter the land. God wanted them to enter the land, but they did not. Why? Because they refused to believe. Those who heard it did not combine it with faith. God made the same promise to these people as those who died in the wilderness. Remember, God said to Joshua, I will give you every place you set your foot as I promised Moses. That promise was not a new revelation to Joshua. That was the promise from the get-go, starting with Moses there. The previous generation never experienced the land. Why? Because they did not believe. Folks, if you'll open your Bibles, you'll see from the beginning to the end, it's all about do you believe? Do you believe the message they heard was of no value because they did not combine it with faith? So what's the application for us? The degree to which the Word of God is the value to you is directly related to the degree to which you believe it. You live it. You walk in it. You can attend worship every Sunday all your life. You can be a part of Bible classes and small group Bible studies. You can serve. You can give. You can adopt every angel off every tree from now to Christmas. But those walls did not come down from marching. The walls did not come down from marching. They came down because of this breakthrough faith. By faith. Hebrews 11.30, the walls of Jericho fell down by faith. Otherwise, the message is of no value because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Folks, you will never value the Word of God until you combine it with faith. You can read every day. You can memorize. You can teach it to others. It will be of no value until you combine it with faith. And this should be a warning to all of us. Sometimes we may think the value is having the correct understanding, but that's not even what it's talking about here. It's talking about just believing. The point here, you place so much value on on what God says then if he says march around the city and look silly, you're going to march around the the city no matter how you look. Because God says so. Your faith, your obedience, your all, your whole life, it depends on that. Do you remember years ago the bumper sticker, God says it, I believe it, that settles it. Do you remember that one? 
And then shortly after, someone edited that and said, no, no, the, 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 the correct way is God says it, and that settles it. And I appreciate that perspective, but we cannot skip over the faith part, at least for it to have any kind of effect on us. Don't miss the belief part. God's Word has no value if it's not combined with faith. So let God be at the front of your life and dealing with your wall. Only then are you going to have peace that passes understanding. Only then will your hope keep you going. Only then is your spirit refreshed in His Spirit. You're marching in your own victory parade. You're letting Christ lead you in a triumphal procession. You don't know how it's going to turn out. Did they know? Did they understand that on day seven, on the seventh day, that the walls would fall flat? The text doesn't tell us that they knew that. There's no way of knowing that. We know how the story ends, so we start reading it. We already know the ending. But they didn't know that. You're following Jesus. You're being a completely committed follower of Jesus. You're taking every step in faith. Do you know how it's going to end? No. Other than He's right. And you trust Him. And He's going to take care of you. That's when the Word of God has value. Christianity is not a show. It's not about just reading the Word and just making sure your life fits the Word. It's about getting out of your seat and marching by faith. Literally walking out your obedience. Look at Philippians 2, verse 13. One last verse. Paul commends the Philippian Christians for the obedience. And then he, he kind of he puts a, a divine perspective on that to kind of help you to see the bigger picture of what God is doing. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. You obey, and then you let God take it from there. God wants to know if He's first in your life. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's the story in, in, in the taking of Jericho. The ark went first, and they were to march. But the walls fell by faith. How much faith do you have? Do you believe that the only way that you can spend eternity with God in heaven is through Jesus have you confessed that you believe, you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Have you demonstrated that faith, obeying His command to be baptized? Are you walking daily, getting value out of the Word by combining it with faith? If you're not a Christian, we're going to give you a chance to do that this morning. Or if we can pray for you in your walk, why don't you come as we stand and sing this song to encourage you. Oh, boy.